The following is a sermon from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information and resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. Good morning. Uh, As Gary mentioned, this passage is from Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. And that's on page 762 of those black hardback Bibles. If you do not have a Bible and would like one, feel free to take one of those back with you uh, as a gift from Park Church. Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ben. Good morning to you all. Sometimes I get up for the 11 o'clock service and I'm like, it's still morning, right? Yeah. It'll end in the afternoon. Uh, uh, good morning. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at Park. Um, let me just start by saying it's, it's a joy to worship with you. It's a joy to gather together uh, as brothers and sisters in the family of God and to worship together. I have just had the, an overwhelming sense of that this morning, and so I'll share that, share that with you. This is, as J.D. said earlier, this is the last Sunday of a four-part uh, series that we're doing about the family of God. We have a, a rhythm wherein, in the fall, we preach through a series on being with Jesus, and then in the spring or the early parts of the first of the year, we preach through a series on following his way of life. And this series has been about following his way of life as we interact with one another within the family of God. The first week we talked about paying attention to the family systems that we grew up in and how that affects the ways that we interact with one another today. And then the second week, Neil talked about uh, Jesus being a non-anxious presence, teaching us to be people who are secure in the love of God the Father for us. Last week, Gary talked about us being a people who love and respect people, particularly within the family of God, and particularly as we disagree with one another or realize that we have different opinions on things. Today, as we wrap up the series, we'll be talking about conflict, and how we are to handle uh, or how we are instructed to address conflict as followers of Jesus. The first three weeks have kind of been about things that help us avert conflict. We know that conflict is going to happen, though. So today we'll be talking about conflict, ownership, forgiveness, and reconciliation. Let's stop, though, and pray. If you would, pray with me. Jesus, we thank you that uh, 
Not only do you rescue us and redeem us, wash us clean from uh, our sinfulness, but you give us the, the, the power to choose some of the things we're going to talk about today, to choose to own our sin, to choose to uh, forgive. Would you help us to be people who, through the power of the Spirit, choose those things? And Lord, I also pray the things that we're singing about today, uh, the, the, the things that we're talking about and looking about in Scripture here, it occurs to me, Lord, you have the ability to reach all of us no matter where we're at today, and we probably come in with various things, various joys, various hurts, you have the ability to take any aspect of the things that we talk about, cover here today, even a conversation as someone uh, comes in here or is leaving here, you have the ability to speak to their heart. So would you do that? Would you do that for us, Lord? We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. I've had several people in the history of this church say something like this to me. You are actually different than you look. I kind of walk around with a, a grumpy face sometimes. I have a shaved head, obviously, a beard. I wear a lot of black. Most of it is Carhartt which I feel like kind of has a little bit that just comes along with it. I recall the, the one lady in particular saying, as I got to know you, I realized you, you are different than you look. I kind of have to do that because I'm a teddy bear. I'm a softy. So I have to kind of put on some kind of front. Two things to my softness, one you might know, one you might not know. I've stood up here on the stage before and said, I really like theater, and I really like musicals. So that's where we're going to go here in a second. It's also worth, I think, telling you, I'm a big crier. I'm a pretty emotional person. I generally wear, for people who know me well, I wear my heart on my sleeve, and I'm a crier. I will often cry in movies and shows. So, uh, I've been up on the stage before, too, and talked about Les Miserables, which is one of my favorite musicals, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about Hamilton today. How many of you are familiar with, with the musical? A fair amount. Okay. One of my favorite songs, not one of, my favorite song in Hamilton is It's Quiet Uptown. How many of you like that song? Okay. Thanks for raising your hands. I appreciate it. You know, I, hopefully you've seen the show or you've listened to the music. Hopefully I'm not going to spoil it for you. If you want to walk out now or plug your ears, that's okay. I won't be offended. But the story is, you know, Alexander Hamilton, on top of all the great things that he did, he also uh, made somewhat of a wreck of his family life, uh, and in, especially with his wife. And in the song, It's Quiet Uptown, uh, and by the way, the lady who sang, I can't remember her name. If anyone knows it, you can shout it out. The lady who's the, in the original Broadway cast, 
who sings the forgiveness line, my goodness, her voice is incredible. But she says this line, forgiveness, can you imagine? And in the moment, again, Alexander's made a, a wreck of a lot of his life, and especially with, with his wife, he's done some uh, atrocious things against her. When that line hits, he's standing there and he has his hand down, and his wife, whew, I get emotional just talking about it. She grabs his hand. As the line hits, forgiveness, can you imagine? I cry every time at that line. We took our family, or we took our my wife and I took our two oldest kids and our niece to see Hamilton when it was here the last time. My kids and my niece weren't even watching the show when that line hit. They were just looking down the aisle at me because I had tears just like streaming down my cheeks. Why? One, I'm a crier. Two, it's the gospel. Forgiveness. Can you, can you imagine it? Really, what it's like? Also, as I was thinking about Hamilton in relationship to this, uh, and, and in particular this line, I was struck. I, I have no clue, obviously, what Lin-Manuel Miranda's beliefs are with anything spiritual. But the line strikes me because Almost everywhere you look in society, there is what I would argue is a God-given innate desire for forgiveness and reconciliation. It shows up all over the place. And I would argue that is a God-given innate desire that he has created within us. It's common in, in preaching to go through uh, a lot of the sermon and then at the end kind of sum up and give you, you know, here's where the gospel answers all of this. That's what's often done. But because of what we're talking about today, I want to give you the foundation, the security at the beginning. So turn to Ephesians 4, if you would. And as you turn there, I'm going to make what I hope is a compelling case. If you, don't, if you don't bring a Bible with you, please do. If you use your phone, please don't hear me like curmudgeon, get off my grass guy telling you you can't use your phone. But I think it's important to know your Bible. Not just the Bible. Yes, it's important to know God's word. I think it's important to know where is this at in my Bible? Can I turn to it fast when I need it? So anyway, if you don't have a Bible, please take one from here uh, and, and bring it with you so that you can open up and see where, where are we at? Anyway, Ephesians 4, I asked you to flip there. I didn't flip there. I'll flip there now. Okay, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17. Again, this is the foundation from which we can do some of the things that we're going to talk about here in a bit. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, 
alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. For those who believe in Jesus and his work on the cross, we can put off the old self and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What does that mean? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to choose and do the things that we're going to talk about today. We can choose them. We can choose true righteousness and holiness. So with that, from that place of security in Jesus, let's talk about conflict. Who likes conflict? I didn't get much of a hand in the first service either. Much of what we've covered, as I said, in the last three weeks helps us to avert conflict, growing more Christ-like in our interactions with others, being a non-anxious presence in anxious systems and among anxious people, loving those who believe and think differently than we do. All of these help maintain healthy relationships with other people, but we all know we're still going to have conflict. It will happen. And it can be the source of some of the greatest pain in life, particularly when it's within the family of God. It's layered. Conflict is oftentimes very complex. Someone says something to you that hurts, and you say something back, and then they say something uh, back, and that's hurtful again, and you say something that's hurtful And on and on we go. How many times have you gotten into something like that, perhaps an argument that's a conflict, and you go, I can't even remember how this started. That's the layers and the complexity to it, or some of it anyway. We withdraw in conflict. When we feel conflict with another person, we often will withdraw in that relationship. Some of us don't withdraw though. Some of us pursue and pursue and pursue aggressively anybody that we feel we're in conflict with. We also villainize people in conflict. We begin to conceive of them as our enemy, the enemy of our story. We're tempted to believe the worst about others. And then we often gossip about it to other people. This, of course, is what Satan wants us to do. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And the the devouring of and the, the ripping of part of good human relationships is a work of the kingdom of darkness. But it isn't just that. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. 
We have an enemy that speaks lies to us, but we also have a heart, uh, the, the seat of desire in us that is deceitful. Hey, your friend said that hurtful thing. It's okay if you say the hurtful thing back. It's only, it's only right that you should defend yourself and say the hurtful thing back. That's the kind of deceitfulness that we're talking about. Praise God. He has, in his graciousness and kindness to us, he gives us wisdom in his word about how to work through conflict. So with that, we're going to look at owning our own sin. If you've closed your Bible, flip back open to Matthew 7, to the verses that were read for us earlier. Matthew 7, starting in verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is uh, right in the middle of the uh, Sermon on the Mount. It's a sermon by Jesus, a, a collection of his teachings, if you will, Teachings that are reshaping what life in the kingdom under God's good rule and reign is supposed to be like. And too often, the temptation that we act on as humans is to consistently point out other people's sin while largely leaving our sin unexamined and ourselves unchanged. We must be a people who are rigorously identifying our own sin. And hear me on this, because I'm not talking about identifying our sin and then considering ourselves a failure. Like, there it is again. There it is again. I'm a failure. I suck at this. There's no way that God loves me. These are often the voices that we say to one another when we see our ugliness. Remember the security that we talked about before. God loves you. You're washed in the blood of Jesus. The essayist and civil rights advocate James Baldwin once wrote, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. We have to be a people who are able to face our own sin, who are able to see it. We have to be a people who are able to see its ugliness and the way that it hurts others. And then we have to be a people who can own it. We should own it. We should be a people who can ask for forgiveness and then apologize when we've done wrong to other people. In her book, Jesus Through the Eyes of Women, Rebecca McLaughlin writes this. In the 21st century West, we tend to see guilt as an unhealthy feeling to be shed and forgiving ourselves as more important than seeking forgiveness from others. But Jesus does not minimize our guilt. He takes it from us. We talk today about forgiving ourselves and learning to love ourselves, but if that is our focus, we risk missing out on the forgiveness and the love that Jesus offers us. It's not too late for us to say, we are sorry to the Lord and to other people. 
So ask yourself, is there anything that I can identify that I need to own to God or to someone else? If you're like me, that's probably going to be both. If I have sinned, particularly against other people, I have sinned against God, I've sinned against other people. I would encourage you, slow down when you ask this question. Too often, and probably because it's painful, it's ugly, too often we're tempted to just run past it if we consider it much at all. So slow down and ask yourself, is there anything that I need to own to someone else or to the Lord? Small aside here, although I guess it's not an aside, it's, I think it's, it's in the text. But notice the text doesn't say, never remove a speck from another brother or sister's eye. Never, it doesn't say, never address anything with them. Rather, it instructs that we should kindly and graciously address things in the eyes of other people birthed from having done our own work. Birthed from having addressed our own sinfulness, our own log in our eyes so that we can accurately use a scalpel. Instead of wielding it around, cutting up people's souls, we are uh, people who do it with precision because we've done our own work. Along with identifying our own sin, forgiveness is also a part of how we work through conflict. In his book, He Calls Me Friend, John Perkins writes this, forgiveness is a big deal, and you can't really have a true friendship without it. To be human is to fail. We make mistakes. We hurt one another. To forgive is to make a decision to cancel a debt that you are owed and not to hold it against your offender. If you would, turn to Matthew 18. And as you get there, I love hearing the rustling of pages, by the way. Something soothing to it. It's like leaves of an aspen tree kind of blowing. We're going to pick it up in verse 21 of Matthew 18. Then Peter came up and said to him, that's Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. This is such a Jesus thing to do. You think, you think the bar to attain is here. And I, the bar is actually here. Peter comes out and he says, uh, seven times, right? And there's a, there's, a, there's a school of thought here that Peter thinks, I'm, I'm really being generous with my seven times. In fact, Tony Evans in his study Bible writes this, Jewish rabbis taught that forgiveness need only be extended three times. So Peter may have thought he was being generous by suggesting that he forgive his brother or sister seven times. But saying 70 times seven, though, or sorry, by saying 70 times seven, though, Jesus insisted that forgiveness has no limits. Whenever I come to this passage, I always read an inference in what Jesus says. I don't know that I can prove this. 
So don't push me on it. But I always read an, 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 an inference in what Jesus says, sort of like this. You don't have enough. We don't have enough in us to forgive the way that we are supposed to forgive. It's as if Jesus is saying, forgiveness is a reservoir. Your reservoir isn't deep enough on your own. You don't have enough water in the reservoir of forgiveness to forgive as I'm asking you to. So, I, I feel like that. Perhaps none of you do. But I feel like when someone has sinned against me again and again and again, when a friend has sinned against me, it's hard to feel like you have the capacity to keep forgiving. So what do you do? If you would, turn back to Matthew 7. This is going to be right after where we were just reading from in Matthew 7. So again, when our spouse, a friend, co-worker, whoever it may be, sins against us for the hundredth time. By the way, 70 times 7 is 490. And I don't think Jesus is actually saying 490 times, that's it. He's saying a lot. So what do we do? Matthew 7, verse 7, ask. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I truly believe that if we ask for more capacity to forgive, Jesus gives it. I think he deepens our reservoir of forgiveness, and he replenishes the water that's in it, such that we could actually forgive 70 times, seven times through the power of the Spirit. If you ask, it'll be given. So ask yourself these things. Is there forgiveness that you need to extend to someone else? Is there bitterness that you're carrying towards someone Here's a particularly hard one for me. They're all hard without Jesus. But here's one. Is there anyone that at some point you decided to forgive, but now you're choosing to hold in your debt again? I think forgiveness is a, a one-time decision, right? As in, I'm going to choose to forgive. I'm going to choose to set, away, to set aside bitterness and resentment. And then I think the next day when your heart is saying, why would you do that? Why, why would you do that? Or Satan is saying, really? Do you really want to do that? You got to choose to forgive again. And then a week from then, when they haven't perhaps asked you for forgiveness, you got to forgive again. A year from then, two years from then. So a one-time choice that you got to keep choosing again and again, lest bitterness take over your heart. As much as it might hurt, 
Let that person out of your debt again and again and again. We'll land the plane here. Ownership and forgiveness, uh, forgiveness lead us towards reconciliation. For that, turn to Matthew 5. For most of you now, that's just going to be a little page flip backward. Matthew 5, we'll pick it up in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. The Lord calls his followers to be ministers of reconciliation to riff on what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.18. He asks us to be ministers of reconciliation because of what Jesus has done for us. In fact, if you would, go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians 5. We'll read from that passage. Again, our, as we're reading this, being reminded that our reconciling with one another horizontally is imaging, it's playing out the vertical reconciliation that we have with God because of Jesus. Second uh, Corinthians 5, starting in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might live uh, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We're to model or image the repairing and healing of broken relationships because that's what Christ does on our behalf. He reconciles us. We who were enemies of God, in need of forgiveness, he extends it in order to reconcile us. This isn't the only, this is probably the most important reason to live this way. But it's not the only way. We image Jesus in it, yes. It's also just the most beautiful way to live. It's the most joyful way to journey through this life. A wreckage of busted and broken relationships in the wake of your life is not a way to live. There's a beautiful, more joyful way. Ownership of sin and wrongs, as well as forgiving debts owed, is a large part of reconciliation. But I submit to you, for reconciliation to happen, it takes both of those 
things. True reconciliation doesn't happen when one or both parties cannot or will not identify and own their wrong in a conflict. Likewise, genuine reconciliation doesn't occur when one or both parties refuse to forgive. For me, I picture this like a dance, a beautiful waltz, if you will. It goes like this, ownership, forgiveness, ownership, forgiveness, ownership, forgiveness. It has a beauty to it because that's the way it's supposed to be. When it isn't like that, when one or both of those are out of step, the dance is clunky at best. At worst, it's a failure, an utter failure. So here's just a bullet point of some random thoughts or bullet points of random thoughts here to consider as you think about reconciliation. Believe the best about other people. Believe the best about their intentions. Now, some of us have experienced things in life like abuse. And I, I want to submit to you, things like that, I'm not, I'm not talking about, hey, just believe the best about that person. It's not necessarily what we're talking about. I know that those things happen. But a lot of interactions in relationships that cause conflict are because we begin to believe that the other person is a horrible person. Or we villainize them, as we said before. So believe the best about other people and their intentions. Avoid finger pointing as much as possible, you know? If they just got their stuff together, we'd be good. If they would just, uh, if they would just own what they need to own, we would be good. If they would just get their stuff together, this relationship would be a lot better. We do a lot of finger pointing. It's the nature of sin apart from Jesus. Ask questions to gain understanding. Instead of statements, it's much better to ask questions. Be quick to listen. The opposite of that would say, be slow to speak. Right? Ask questions and be quick to listen to the answers to those questions. Be slow to speak. Be slow to judgments. Here's one again, particularly hard for me. Be willing to go to other people and talk about the ways that they hurt you. It's a vulnerability. It's a risk. And sometimes people haven't treated us well. So we stop going to them. And then they wonder why, why is it that we have conflict? You never really said anything about it. So as much as it's possible for you, grab up the courage to go and say, this was hurtful. And all, in all of this, pray often. Pray about it often. Here's some questions to ask yourself. Is there anything that you can do to work toward reconciliation in a broken relationship? In the Beatitudes of Matthew 5, Jesus declared, blessed are the peacemakers. Is there anyone that you need to go make peace with? I want to acknowledge something about reconciliation, though, that I'm sure is a, a, all of you will understand it. Not everything is going to be reconciled. Not every friendship or relationship 
will be reconciled. Sometimes people will not own their sin against us. Sometimes forgiveness is not afforded. Even forgiveness asked for is not afforded. And this is an ongoing grieving process. I don't know about you, it feels like a lot of loss when for whatever reason a friendship relationship is not reconciled. While not wanting to sugarcoat the pain of that, I want to offer a few thoughts on that. Romans 12, 18, you don't have to flip there. Let's tell you what it says. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If another person cannot see their sin, will not own their sin, or they will not forgive you and your sin and your wrong against them, do not be bitter. I implore you, push away from bitterness and resentment. How do you do that? Forgive, 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 and then forgive again. And when that reservoir runs low, Lord Jesus, I need more. I need more forgiveness for this person. And then you forgive. I know it's hard. I really do. But it's honoring to Jesus. And not only that, it's freeing to your soul. Second thing, take your grief to the Lord. This is what we observe over and over and over again in the Psalms. People who are afflicted, they're grieving, and they're crying out to the Lord who listens and who cares. Remember, Isaiah 53 depicts Jesus like this. He was a man despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. All that to say, he knows that pain, and he knows what that feels like. You might consider a homework assignment. I'm obviously not going to come around and collect it next week. But you might consider a homework assignment like this. Writing your own psalm in order to be able to take it to the Lord. Oftentimes, we get stuck with our grief. We get stuck with our loss. We get stuck with pain. And we don't know how to give it articulation in order to help process it. One of the ways you can do that is just write your own psalm. You're looking for a good template? Psalm 25. A good template for that. So you might consider, you might consider that. Here's our last point maybe the the most fundamental of them all. Maintain your focus on where this is going. Turn to Revelation 21, if you would. This will be our last stop. Revelation 21, and we'll we'll start in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, 
for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, the thirsty. And I don't know about you, but oftentimes in unreconciled friendships where I carry hurt and pain, I long for ultimate reconciliation. I'm thirsty for it. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. In this life, we will have grief and suffering that does not go away. But if we, if we fix our gaze upon Jesus and where his story is going, we don't have to be angry people. We don't have to become bitter and sour people. We can maintain a peaceful, forgiving, Christ-like soul because we have a far greater hope with our eyes set on the resurrection. One day, all things will be made new. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have uh, rescued us and redeemed us. That in and of itself is stunning. It's incredible. But you don't just uh, you don't just rescue us, clean us up, and say, "Okay, you're good." You rescue us, wash us, and then say, "Son or daughter, live like this. This is a better way to live." Choose this because it will bring joy and blessing. It will image me. It will bring glory to me. And your life will be a beautiful life if you live this way. So, Lord, help us to do that. Holy Spirit, move in us in such ways that uh, we are people who own our sin quick to own our sin. We are people who radically forgive again and again and again and again. And Lord, that, that is your work. It's not something that we can produce in ourselves. So do that work in us, Lord, individually and corporately. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. More information and more resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. Take care.